Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 25th of May 2014, entitled Giving, God's Way, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I have to say to you that uh, you know, if you weren't here this morning, then you're getting in on the end. Uh, because I uh, mentioned this morning that uh, in preparation for our missions conference, uh, we're not a church that hounds on money a lot, but money is essential. Uh, but it's not really money that's the focus of our attention. It's really giving God's way. And we're going to take our reading, and uh, uh, from 1 John chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 16 and read down through the end of the chapter, verse 24. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we begin in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath the world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, he in him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Father, we do thank you again for this time that you give us together this evening. Lord, we know that we have prayed and we have sought your will, and we pray now, Lord, that Lord, that you would just speak to us this evening. Lord, we know there's so many things that could be said, but that which is important is what you would have said. So, Father, we pray that you would take this time, that it would not be wasted for us, that our hearts would be open to you, but, Lord, that you would do the speaking, that you would speak to each heart, that you would fill each need as only you can. We'll truly give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, really, we kind of covered the whole spectrum this morning in trying to to look at this idea, and we began with the thought that if you're interested, you'll just have to go back and listen to it uh, online. Uh, But really, the whole matter that we begin, when we begin to think about giving, is that rather than to think about me giving, what we need to begin with is what God has given to us. And we looked at this passage and we talked about a number of things there. Uh, He says, hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we know. Here's how we see the love of God. What? Because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we see God's love and we looked at a number of other passages. We looked back into many of the Proverbs that have to deal with this matter. And in the end, 
what we really have to start with is when we really truly begin to contemplate God gave everything for us. God gave his life. And there is nothing more important to any one of us than the life that we have. There is no possession that we have. There is no amount of money in the bank. There's no amount of jewels that we might accumulate in this earthly's treasures that when it came right down to it, a person would be willing to give it all up to be able to have life if that life was taken from them. And then he makes a very important point there that we discussed in verses 17 and 18. And he says, whosoever has the world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, we, we don't have time to dwell there this evening, but you know, God loved us so much. And he showed that love that he gave up everything for us. He gave his life. He went and he died on that cross for us. Well, how can we dare talk about loving someone if we see others in need and we shut up those bowels of compassion? How can we possibly say that it's the love of God when God was willing to give everything because he loved us so much? And therefore, the love of God in us is that same thing. And he goes on there to share, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to say I love. But what he's wanting to see is some action. If we really love, then it ought to come through in the things that we're doing. And we discussed a, a number of things there, but it must all begin. It must all begin with the reality that we have a giving God that has given everything to us and that without him, we would have no life at all. We would have no possessions at all. But yet our natural fleshly tendency is to be selfish, to be greedy, to be prideful, to look at all these things that I have built up, to try to hold on to these things and to keep them. And, and yes, there are those times when we maybe give, but what we recognize is this, that what we want to do is to be able to give God's way, to be able to love so much that it's not a chore, it's not a labor, it's not something that we, we dread when we hear somebody talk about giving or we have to think about giving to, to someone else's need, to help someone else, to see the gospel goes to the end of the world, which we'll look at in just a moment. The truth is, is that, you know, we talk about those things all we want to. But if it's really, really in our hearts, it all comes down to the heart. When? When we truly love like God loves, then we'll begin to see some of that giving. We'll talk about it when he, I mean, we'll just, we'll just be hilarious in being able to give. We'll just be so happy and so thrilled to be able to do that. Do you remember what is said about the Lord Jesus Christ? That he endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. And I'm saying to you, that's where we began, and that's what we looked at this morning. You have to go back. And then we talked about this idea that, that everything that God did, everything about our Christian faith, it all comes down to Jesus Christ, and it comes down to Jesus Christ coming to this earth to redeem us from our sins because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we find that... We've looked in a number of places. That was his whole purpose. That was his being, and that is our purpose, folks. You know, again, we get sidetracked on all these things to accomplish with our lives. 
But if we miss out on the fact of what God wants to do through us, and we said this morning that when he calls us, he has a place for us in his body. He has something that there is absolutely nobody that's too disqualified, unqualified, I guess maybe would be a better word, that, that has too little intelligence, that has too little abilities. Because the truth is, he's not talking about what we can do. We're talking about the work of Christ being done through us. And again, that's what was part of our passage there this morning. It is him, the Holy Spirit, living within us that's going to accomplish the work. Well, if the love of God is in us, if he's there, we said that, you know, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose in coming was to redeem mankind from their sins. The very last marching orders that he left with us was to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. That's his desire for us. That's what we're here for. Now, I said this this morning and I'll repeat it and we're going to go back and look at a couple of these things. We do not ever have to pray and ask God if it's his will for me to go. To go what? To the lost with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to ask God if it's his will when he's already told you to do it. That command is to all of us to go into all the world. The, not, the question is not, should I go? The question is simply, where do I go? If God hasn't told you to go somewhere else, he's told you to go right where you are. I've often said, I would, I would not want to really be a part of a church commissioning a missionary to go to some regions beyond to carry the gospel if that person was not in the first instance serving and witnessing where they are right where. What, why are they going to start doing something different when they get out there that they're not doing right here? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. We've all been told to go. How are we to go? We looked at four things this morning that for this job to be accomplished, it requires people Personnel, that's the way God decided to do it. He could have used the birds. He could have used the bears if he'd wanted to. He could have sent angels from heaven. But he chose to dwell in us by the power of his spirit and to accomplish that work. That's why Jesus told us in John chapter 14 when he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go unto the Father. Why? Because I'm going to send another, a comforter, one to come alongside you. So we find that it's the work of Christ taking place through us that's going to accomplish it, it needs people. Matter of fact, we need people both here and abroad. It's not a question of, 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 of where. The Bible tells us that we should pray. He told us to, to look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. And he tells us to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth what? Laborers. Laborers into that harvest. We should be praying for God to send forth people to go to all of those that need to hear the gospel. We should be praying, Lord, where do you want me? Are we willing to say as the prophet Isaiah, Lord, here am I, send me. So I've, I've, I've asked you, please, as we, as we go into this missions conference, you know, missions requires people. And it requires people that are willing to surrender to God's will for their life. It's that simple. God wants you. You know, there's, there's no point in us as a church sending our money to the jungles out there if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing right here. You know, Jesus, when he gave that commandment, when he talked to his 
apostles, the way it's recorded there in Acts, he talked about going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, all at the same time. The word that precedes all of those is the word both. You know, the mission field is everywhere. The mission field begins with the person sitting right next to you. The mission field begins with whoever you first come in contact with when you walk through those doors out there, who you're with tomorrow, people, prayer, both individual. For God, what do you want me to do? We ask you to earnestly pray. You look, I do not. Matter of fact, we said this morning, we don't want to play on people's emotions. We don't want to get people psyched up to do things. What we want to do is get people just to give themselves to God. Let God do what he wants to do. You see, I don't want anything to be a burden for you. I don't want to make you more uh, unhappy than what you are. I don't want to, uh, to place a burden upon you that's, that's something there. And I promise you that that's not what God is wanting to do. I'm not asking you to do anything except to do what God wants you to do. When you do what God wants you to do, that'll be the happiest place you'll ever be in your life. I'm not trying to get into your wallet. I just want you to be willing to give yourself to God, lock, stock, and barrel. Because I said this morning, you know, the, when, when we have problems pulling out one of those bills and giving it to God, it's usually because God doesn't have his place here. That's not going to mean a whole lot to us when it's in here. Yes, we're required to be good stewards and all kinds of things. But the biggest problem people have when it comes to thinking about giving or hearing about giving or actually the act of giving, because something is wrong in here. Something's not right because that's, that is absolutely so worthless in comparison to all that we're looking at here. People, prayer, possessions. You know, if God's got you, he'll have that which you have. And, of course, power, his power. Now, we looked at three things, and I said, I want to go back because I didn't have time to explain. You know, the first, the first way that we give, and we're dwelling on these possessions because we've already talked about the other things and we come down to this, and that's what you get tonight. And, and the reality is, is that all of it really comes back. And we will see this again as we look to see. It really all comes back to whatever. That is just a consequence. God getting our possessions is just a consequence of when God's really got us. Now, we looked at three different principles that God gives us in Scripture for giving. The first fruits, the tithe, the free will offering, love offerings as we call them sometimes, and faith promise, that which is beyond anything that we can accomplish and do ourselves. Now, I want to come back, and I want us to just, uh, just focus, because I just want you to grasp and understand, I would never claim to have all the answers. I would certainly never claim to, to be some great theological mind. You know, I have to do things the hard way. And all I'm sharing with you right now is simply this. You know, when I wanted to know what God's principle is about this matter of tithing, I didn't go out and try to find some book on tithing. I went to God's Word and I tried to study and find everywhere from cover to cover that anything is mentioned in there on that subject. Now, many people write and many people talk about this being something that was under the law and part of the law and it's not pertinent to us today. Well, I say it is binding upon us today, not in the same way that it was under the law, but we looked this morning. Now, I want to show you something in Scripture. I'm not just 
pulling this up, I've honestly, genuinely tried to, to search the scriptures, but look back with me into Genesis chapter 14, and you'll find the first place that it's mentioned in your Bible in Genesis chapter 14, and notice what it says in verses 18, Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 18, and reading down through verse 20. It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him, what's the next word in your Bible? Tithes of all. Now, folks, this is 400 years before the law of Moses comes into existence. 400 years before. And we find here, now, interestingly enough, Abraham said this morning, we sing Father Abraham. We talk about him being the father. He was. He was the first. When God called Abraham out, you know the first thing that he had to give of Abraham was not his tithe, was his heart. Abraham had to be willing to leave everything behind and go out there in sheer faith. God didn't tell him where he was taking him to. He didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, you've got to leave everything behind and go where I take you, Abraham. Abraham stepped out by faith, and he was following God by faith. Now, we don't know in what conversations that he might have had with God and how this. I'm simply saying to you that the first time that a tithe is paid by, to, to God in the Bible was the first time that he ever called a people out to do a work for him on this earth. With Abraham, he was setting up the nation of Israel that would be his mouthpiece throughout that Old Testament. It will be again one day, I might say. But we find that if you look into Hebrews chapter 7, and again, I don't have time to dwell on this because I've got to get through all of it and I want to give you some passages. But in Hebrews chapter 7, notice what it says about this. Beginning there in verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, talking about this same king, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Same thing, a tithe and a tenth is one and the same. First, being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Who does that sound like? But made like unto the Son of God abideth, a priest continually. We look in the Bible and we, we say, well, this is a type of this and this is a type of that. But the Bible itself tells us who Melchizedek was a type of. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people According to the law, this came later, that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. 
And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. As I may say so, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now there's a lot of things that we don't have. The reality is, folks, we're not talking about being bound by the law. Everything, every requirement of God's law was fulfilled for you in Jesus Christ, okay? What I want you to grasp and understand is that, you know, again, people have the right, and I'm not going to make a fight with them, but, you know, the, the truth is if they want to say that the tithe was part of the law, they really haven't looked. This was 400 years before the law when Abraham, the first person that God ever called out of his people, when he paid tithes to Melchizedek, who was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, a type of the Son of God, the Bible itself says, you find that if you look just a little bit further into Genesis, go over to Genesis chapter 28. Now, it's only 14 chapters later in your Bible there. But in actual fact, it's about 150 years have passed since Abraham had been called out, and we see him first paying a tithe there. In Genesis chapter 28, notice what it says, beginning in verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me, and I will keep me in his way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I came again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. In other words, if I can trust God, to meet all of my needs, to give me everything that I need, then that's the God I want. That's who my God is going to be. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. This was Bethel, this was what we say today, Bethel. This was where those, those stones were set up by, by Jacob. They were the house of God. And Jacob himself said, you know, when I can trust God to meet all of my needs and everything that I need, that's my God. And I am going to give him a tenth of everything that I've got. That was still 250 years before the law of Moses ever came into existence. This was God's people from the time that he first began with Abraham, 150 years later with Jacob. And so we see that a lot of things could be said there. But what I want you to grasp is this. The tithe didn't begin with the law. If people are trying to make something legalistic out of the law and live under it, that's wrong. I'm not saying that the tithe is valid for us for that reason today. I'm saying, first of all, that the tithe was there long before that the law ever began. It didn't begin with God's law, but it began with God's people. And I believe that if we begin to look then from those, it comes down in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 27, which you'll see is the closing out of that book. There's one thing I want you to see about the, the, the tithe that is extremely important here, I think. In Leviticus chapter 27... Notice what it says there, beginning in verse 30, it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, 
The tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. We find that though it had been in existence for 400 years, from the time it galled out of people, it definitely was a part of the law. The book of Leviticus closes with this matter of the tithe, and it says there that that tithe is holy unto God. Now, we know that money is filthy lucre, <laughs> and we know that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. But the tithe, he says, is holy. It's holy unto God. And it's something else very interesting there. I mean, we could spend all the time on the, on the tithe, but he even, he even went as far as under the law. The fact was that, as a matter of fact, if God didn't get the first fruits, if he didn't get his part first, if you redeemed that to use it for something else, then when you bring it back, you bring back 20% interest on top of it, a fifth, a part of it there, 20% usury that you paid back on top of it. He says it's not to be redeemed. It's holy unto the Lord. And of course, again, you can read on down, and we don't have time to read all of these passages, but I'm going to give them to you, and you can write them down, and you can go look for yourself. Numbers chapter 18 in verse 21 tells you of the tithe that was given for the upkeep of the priest and the Levites. Under the law, they paid a tithe that was there to take care of these that were there to take care of their spiritual needs, the priest and the Levites. If you then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 to 7, and verses 17 to 18, you'll find another tithe there that's talked about for feast and fellowship, for the people themselves, for their fellowship, for the things that they did. That was a tithe that was given. And then if you turn on over to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29, you'll find that every third year there was another tithe that was paid, and that was solely, solely to be given to the poor. It was what they brought in solely just to help the needs of those others that needed help. So if we start talking about the tithe under the law, it was very different than what we have trouble with today because they were given almost a quarter. This was three different tithes that were being paid for different purposes that under the law they were required to bring into the temple. Now, as we look at these things, we realize, of course, that, that in Malachi chapter 3, as the Old Testament is coming to a close, this matter of the tithe is, is mentioned in the last chapter or in the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, and you can read a lot of things there, but I just want to read verses 10 through 12 right quick. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And, he says... I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, I said this morning, here's God. 
And he's wanting to pour out blessings. He says he's wanting to, to literally, literally raise the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you can't withstand. And he says not only does he want to pour out those blessings, but he's going to keep those things back that would be taken. He's going to keep back the pestilences. He's going to allow those fruit to bear more. Most of the time we don't begin because we don't stop and truly count our blessing. We, we, we don't look at all the things, not only that God is doing and giving, but the things that God is protecting us from. We find that I would say to you here that certainly, certainly the tithe was a part of the law and it was required under the law. Three tithes were required under the law. And God shows very clearly, as a matter of fact, uh, for them, he, uh, uh, he said to them just a couple of verses before that, in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet he have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You know, he was saying, you know, you're, you're a thief for keeping what naturally belongs to God. Now, all I'm saying to you is this, that if you're talking about the first fruits that were given to God, from the time that God ever set a people aside, for 400 years they were giving tithes to God before that the law came along and he required three tithes of them while they were uh, living under that ceremonial law. And then, of course, we move into the New Testament and, and, I've, and I've heard all these things about, you know, now we're under grace, we're not required those things that were under law. Well, I'm not talking about being required. I'm not asking you to give what they had to give under the law. I'm just saying that God has given us a principle from the very time that he called out a people that it was in practice for 400 years before the law. It was practiced under the law. But then look in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 23. What does the New Testament say about it? Well, in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 23, Jesus speaking says, Woe unto you, scribes, and Pharisees, hypocrites. You think I speak hard sometimes? <laughs> Jesus didn't pull any punches. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. In other words, when Jesus is talking to these here in nature, they were doing it out of a legalistic way. But he commends the tithe. But, you know, what he's really saying to him is, hey, you ought to pay your tithe, but you're not going to buy any bargains with me. You're not going to buy your way into a relationship. You see, what you're doing is you're feeling all proud because you are paying your tithe, but you've forgotten these weightier matters, mercy justice, the things of God. What am I saying to you folks? I'm saying putting money in the offering is not going to buy you favors with God. You know, this is just something that, that we'll see that is done out of our heart for God's work. And it's something that Jesus said, you ought to be doing that, but you ought not to be leaving the other things undone. Over in Luke chapter 18, Jesus addresses this matter of the tithe again. Luke chapter 18 and in verse 12. <laughs> Here we find, of course, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican that Jesus is giving. So this is a parable. It's a story that Jesus is telling himself <clears throat> to make a point. And so this Pharisee, he stood up and he is just bragging on what a great godly person he is. 
And one of the things he says there in verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast and I pray. I pay my tithes. I do all these things. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What do you think that Jesus is saying to us here? He's talking about the tithe as being something that's good and showing how even the Pharisee knew that it was something was good that he used, but he did this good thing, but he did it with a complete wrong attitude of heart. He wanted you to know what he was doing. He wanted you to know what a godly, righteous person he was because he put his money in. Jesus was telling him, you know, the tithe is a good thing, but not with that kind of an attitude of heart. Not when you're doing it to show somebody else how good a Christian that you really are. Now, I want to give you one other thing in Luke chapter 20. This is also recorded in Matthew, and it's also recorded in Mark. Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 20, and of course in verse 25, again keep in mind here the question that's come up is about the tribute money, in other words, paying taxes. Keep in mind that Jerusalem at that time was under the, the power of an outside country. Rome was ruling over them, and, and of course Caesar was collecting taxes from them. And so the whole question comes up, and you notice here it says, and the chief priest and the scribes, the same hour, sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. And they watched him and sent forth spies, which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so that they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. In other words, they're trying to set him up. And they ask him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, Neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? We know that you're going to tell us right. We know that you're going to speak for God. Be kind of like somebody coming along today using that same excuse and said, okay, we're going to Should I pay my taxes? Is it right for me? And I mean, of course, they're asking, because remember, this is an outside power. And is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? They think they've got him in a trap. Where that no matter what he answers, he's going to be in trouble. But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? And he said, show me a penny. And, of course, he, he, he took that coin out, and as, he, and as he held out that coin, he said, Whose image and subscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Now, some people have thought that I was saying wrong when I said this passage before. In other words, say, pay your taxes and pay your tithes. <laughs> So, well, that's not what it, it's not talking about just money there. But I believe that's very much in con. This whole thing is about money. The whole thing is about are we supposed to pay tribute, to pay a portion of our money, to pay taxes to this government, this outside government that's ruling over us? Give me that coin. He's actually got a coin in his hand and he's talking about money. 
Whose picture's on there? This one happens to have the queens on it. It says, well, you render unto Caesar, you render unto the queen what is hers and unto God what is his. Money's in the exact context. I'm not saying that's all that it's saying. You know, we should give God everything that, that, that he has, not just our money, but certainly it's not out of context when that's what this whole matter is about there is about the tribute money. So I'm saying to you that, you know, a lot of things could be said when we move into the New Testament, and I'm going to run out of time, but keep this in mind. The tithe was not instituted as part of the law. It was instituted as part of God's people from the time that he called them out on this earth. It was included in the law, and it was binding under the law, but it was in fact instituted under Abraham, appears to have been practiced by God's people for at least 400 years until the law was given. In the New Testament, it was commended by Jesus as a good thing that ought to be done, and we find absolutely no place that it was ever done away with. We do certainly find the practice of giving continuing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it doesn't mention the word tithe, but notice what it does say. It says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. Well, if that's not proportional giving, which is what a tithe is, is giving a proportion depending upon how God has blessed you, then I don't know what it is. And so I'm simply saying to you, I could say a whole lot of things, but I just propose to you that the first principle of giving that ought to start in every Christian's life, the very first fruits, I believe is binding upon us Christians, not because that we're living under the law, not because it'll somehow make us more of a Christian or not because that it's something that God has said, you do this or I'm going to do this. But that's God's plan for financing his work. It always has been before the law and after the law. It was there as part of it. And, you know, I, don't, I just can't begin to comprehend why we would say that under this great time of grace that we live under, that that's an excuse not to be involved. May I say to you, he has given us, the church, the greatest task yet to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. How could we even comprehend that God deserves less in our proportional giving than he ever has any time since he's had a people? And so I'm saying, you know why tithing is binding for this preacher? It's binding because of love, not because of the law. It's binding because of love. You know, I, I just, I, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying I'm glad that God got a hold of this thick skull of mine one day and he got me to understand I don't want to live without giving God the first fruits. I know that everything that he gives me, it's all a blessing from him and God blesses it. I could tell you a number of stories, but I don't have time. J.L. Kraft, the founder of Kraft Foods, one of the biggest companies in the world, he gave approximately 25% of everything he made to Christian causes. Here's his statement. He said, the only investment, this is a man that made multi-millions and billions of dollars. He said, the only investment I ever made, which is paid consistently increasing dividends, is the money that I have given to the Lord. He's involved in tremendously successful business. And he said, the best investment I ever made was what I give to the Lord. 
J.D. Rockefeller, again, one of the phenomenally wealthy families, he said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I made if I hadn't tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. And I've told you before, and I'd remind you of the story of Dr. Chriswell, pastor for many, many, many years of the First Baptist Church of, of Dallas, Texas. And he told the story of the young man that came to the pastor and he was talking to the pastor about this matter of tithing. And so, you know, they'd talked and whatnot. And anyway, in the end, he promised, you know, God, if, if, if God was going to meet his needs, he was going to always give God his tithe. Well, he was only earning $40 a week at that time, so that was $4 was what he had to put in. Well, some years later, the same young man had become quite successful. And suddenly, instead of $4 a week, when he started calculating his tithe, it was $500 a week. That meant he was making, instead of $40 a week, he was making $5,000 a week. And boy, this began hard to put $500 a week in the offering. So he goes to talk to the pastor. He says, Pastor, isn't there some way? He said, this is just, this is just getting silly. This is too much. He said, isn't there some way that I can get out of this promise that I made? And his pastor looked at him and he said, well, I really only know one way. He said, I can't figure out any way that you can get out of the promise that you made. But he said, uh, we could always pray for God just to quit blessing you so much. Because you see, if instead of that, that, uh, that 5000 a week, if you were back to making forty a week, you probably wouldn't have a problem paying the $4 a week. So maybe we ought to just ask God not to bless you so much. Proportional giving is a part. And I'm saying, I believe with all my heart, God will only bless you for it. The second thing we looked at, and I don't have any much time there, but, but turn back with me into the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 35, and I just want to read a few verses because the whole story, we don't have time. Read, read chapter 35 through 40, isn't it? Yep. Chapter 35 through 40, and this is, this is the building of the tabernacle. And of course, we find that uh, Moses has gone to the people and God has given him instructions and he tells us up there in, in verse 2 of chapter 35, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Then Moses spoke unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. Now this is an interesting commandment because on the one hand, God has given Moses instructions and he's told him to go to the people of God. And he's told them, he uses the word there, the Lord commanded, but notice in the commandment, take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a Willing heart. It's a heart condition again. He says, whoever's willing in their heart, that's who I want to give. This is who the commandment is to. Now, you can read down. It says there, let him bring an offering of gold, silver, brass, and men. The verses just follow of everything, all these wonderful possessions that they had and whatnot. If you look down to verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart was stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit 
made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments, and they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewels of gold, and every man that, that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Look down in verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Verse 31, and he hath filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Now look, if you look down into verse 5 of chapter 36, and they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the office of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and what's the last two words? Too much. I said, wow. I mean, first of all, you see through and through these verses, and you can read them all for yourself. Bottom line, there was a work that needed to be done for God. The tabernacle needed to be built. But the way was for God's people. But God's commandment for those to give was those that were of a willing heart, those that wanted to be a part of God's work. And they began to bring, and they began to bring, and they began to bring until finally they came to Moses and said, Moses, man, the people are giving so much. We've got too much. We've got more than enough to do what we need to do. And they actually had to stop the people from giving. Every pastor's dream. <laughs> I'd love to get up and say, could you please quit giving so much in the offerings? We've just got too much. But the truth is, so what I want you to guess, these were free will offerings. We call them that because they were given freely of the will. We sometimes call them love offerings because they're given out of a love from the heart. And I'm saying to you, that's the second principle. You see, the first principle is simply a standard that God has had ever since he's had a people. That, you know, there are special blessings in store for those that love God and his work so much that they'll... Give him the first fruits of what they have. Secondly, there are those, there's another way, there's another principle of giving, which is that of these free will offerings where the heart is made willing. We see this great need and we want to give to God's work. We want to do what we can do for it. And so we find that those two principles are laid down and again, so much could be said there. I think I told you the story before. Guy had a heart attack, and they took him into the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, one of his uncles died. And his uncle was a very, very, very rich man. And so this guy that was in the hospital, he wasn't supposed to have many visitors. He was supposed to be kept quiet and not do anything around him that would, that would get him overexcited because of the serious heart condition that he had. So while he was there, this uncle died and he left a million dollars of that money for him. Well, then the family's trying to think, well, how in the world can we tell him about that? 
and it not be excitable and him not get too excited about it. So they call on the preacher. <laughs> he gets the fun jobs. So they ask the preacher, we figure you're probably the best person to be able to go in there and to break this news to him, but, but to do it in a quiet way, you know, keep him on kind of a spiritual realm to where that he doesn't get overexcited about this, this, this money stuff. So the preacher goes in and, you know, he's just talking and just killing time and trying to find a good spot to bring this in. And finally he gets to it and he, and he just asks him this question. says, well, you know, if you were suddenly given a million dollars, what would you do with it? I said, I thought for a bit and probably scratched his chin and he looked over at the preacher and said, well, you know, preacher, he said, if I think somebody gave me a million dollars, he said, I think I'd give half of it to the church. The preacher fell over with a heart attack. <laughs> the truth is, is that this is an offering that is done, again, not out of obligation, but in both of these offerings, we see it comes from the heart first. We love God so much, and we, we are so grateful for all that he's done for us. We are so keen to see his work done. And, of course, they go on and... We could look at a number of other passages, but I'll just give these to you and we'll move to this last one because I want to give you some verses there. You know, Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what's important to you? What's important to you? Is it these temporal earthly things or is it the eternal things? There are many places that teach us, and I unashamedly would say to you that I believe that it's an absolute principle of God's Word that try as hard as you want to. If you can get rid of the pride and you can get rid of the greed and the selfishness and the lack of faith because you're worried that you've got to do what God has promised to do, it's impossible to outgive God. You'll never be able to do it. One of those practices, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You ever buy one of those boxes of cereal that's about this big and you open it up and there's about a half a box of cereal in it? Well, the illustration that, that the Lord's giving, when you give to God, you know, he don't try to cut any corners and give it back to you half filled with air. It's pressed down and it's shaken together. You know, it's like a lot of times when we're trying to get all that we can into something, you know, we, we take it and we shake it and we move it around and we try to make sure every little space is taken up in there, pressed down, shaken together, and it's still running over. And he says, the same measure that you give with is the same measure that's going to be measured back. I heard it put this way one time. You know, we can take and compare other scriptures. You know, you give God one teaspoon, He'll give you back four teaspoons. There's no question about it. You give God one shovel full, he's going to give you back four shovelfuls. He's you're going to get it the same measure. He's always going to give you more. You give him a wheelbarrow, he's going to give you back four wheelbarrows. You give him an articulated lorry full, he's going to give you back four of them. He's always going to give you back more than you give. But it's a question of how much we trust him. What kind of faith do we have? You know, he gave up everything for us, and he's asked us to be willing to love others in that same way. And we could talk a lot of things. There's so many examples, but let me give you these last verses. And this is where I want to spend the most time, and I guess I'm going to spend the least time. But turn with me to 2 Corinthians. And as you're turning there, you see, I want to say to you, you can, 
Folks, I, I am just trying to give you principles from God's word. Giving God's way. First of all, I'm, I'm using that in two ways. Giving God's way. God has told us in the same way that he's given himself to us is the same way that we should be giving ourselves to others. And he gave everything for us. But also giving God's way in the fact that we can come up with all the innovative ideas and plans we want to for financing God's work, but God's way is what works. And God's principles are what work. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody mad at me, but, you know, I don't think that we've got to start opening up our businesses and selling this and selling that and doing all these things in order to be able to pay the bills of the church. Now, I know that sometimes there may be reasons for raising funds for certain things and whatnot, but I'm saying, you know, God's work is paid for in God's way. And the truth is, though, is you can truly grasp this principle of first fruits and you can be as faithful as you can in that, and God will bless you for that tremendously. And you can grasp this thing of free will offerings, of love offerings, that you're so in love with God and his work, and those things mean more to you that really whatever God wants, you know, you're just happy and willing to do it. You want to do it. It's coming from within. It's not a drudgery. But, it's what, but you know, no matter how much or how little you've got, we all have a limit. We all have only a certain amount that we can do. And you know what else? That the truth is, is when we've done everything that we can do, the job is still bigger. The job is bigger than us. But God knew that. And so God gave us another principle. He said, okay, you trust me. You truly trust me to meet all your needs and whatnot, just like my people always have. You give me the first fruits and see if, I won't bless you and open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you won't be able to withstand. And he says, if you really love me, you prove it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not asking you to do what you don't want to do. It's just simply what do we really want to do with what God's blessed us with. But then in 2 Corinthians, we find that there comes this time when we've done all that we can do. And where do we go from there? Well, that's what faith promise is all about. You know, we've been asking you to pray. There's faith promise slips on the table. And we're asking you next week to commit to what you will trust God to do through you, not for me, not for this church, but for the cause of missions and getting the gospel to the regions beyond. Anything you give to missions in this church goes for the work of missions. Full stop. The thing is, I'm not asking you to do that, as I said in the beginning, to make life harder for you. Second Corinthians chapter 8. I want to give you this great example. I'm going to read real fast here. I'm going to run down through these things. But notice, notice what he says to us. First of all, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, the Macedonian church is being used as an example here. That's not, that doesn't, that means this isn't theory. That means that this is a reality. This is a work of grace that has already taken place. I want you to see the grace of God that is bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. He said, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty 
abounded unto the riches of their liberality. These Christians were in a great trial of affliction. These Christians in the church at Macedonia, they were in not just things a bit a little tight. The Bible says they were in deep poverty. Yet, it says they were, they were joyful and, and they were so generous and liberal is the words that he used here in their giving. Now, in the natural realm, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, I mean, the natural thing would be, you know, that if, if, if they're under great affliction and they're in deep poverty themselves, why would they be happy about giving away what they've got? He says in verse 3, 4, to their power, I bear record, yea, yes, they did everything that they could, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. You see, they had done everything in their power that they could possibly do. But then he says what happened in this church was when they'd done everything in their power, then there was something that was beyond their power that was taking place. This was something that was credible only to God. As a matter of fact, he uses the word here, God's grace. We find that he says in verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They were actually begging them to let them give. They weren't finding it a hard, oh, do we really? I mean, here's people and all this affliction and all this poverty. And he says, look at these people. They're actually begging us to let us have a part in this ministry. It goes on, he says in verse 5, and this they did. Not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Comes back to that very same thing that we dwelt on quite a bit this morning. You see, the only way that this was going to take place, the only way that this was going to get beyond their power and their abilities was they had to first of all be willing to really give themselves to God completely. All to the Lord, he says in verse 6, And so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. This same grace, in other words, he's saying, is repeatable in your church. I want you to look at what happened over here. Now I want you to realize that can take place in your church as well here at Corinth. He says, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Now he goes on, he says in verse, verse 7, he says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, and he gives a few here, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us. And I mean, these are just good things that he's pointing out that's taking place in this church. But notice he says, see that ye abound in this grace also. Do you realize, folks, that he's talking about here using a church for an example, but telling another church, you know, in all these precious things you got going for you, your faith and your utterance and your knowledge, your, your diligence, your love, you need to be abounding in this grace also. This is something else that needs to be happening. He says, notice next, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. And what's he say then? And to prove 
the sincerity of your love. Remember where we began in 1 John? It doesn't need just words. There needs to be actions. And this is what he said here. This is more than just saying I love the Lord and I love his work. He says you're proving the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He said, you know, the Lord Jesus, it's something that he was willing. He was willing to, to give it all up for you. He says, and herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. This is something that would do you good. This is something that is advantageous for you. This is something that will profit you, who have begun before not only to do so, but also to be forward a year ago. You know, again, we don't just make up, why do we do this faith promise by year? It's an example that's given to us. There's nothing magical about that. You don't have to do it every year. But that's why every year we have one of these conferences to pray and say, God, what would you do through me? Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. You promised a year ago. Now, make sure that what you promised is done, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that which ye have. Can't just make promises and not hold through to them. He's the one. You know, he's the one that's telling us that we ought to you know, some people struggle with this matter of faith promise because they've never been a part of it or never seen it before. Well, I didn't make it up. Somebody showed it to me in God's word one day and I got all excited because I'd been in church for years and years and years and, and I was paying my tithes and I was doing all these things, but I never knew it was possible for God to do this. I guess, you know, maybe on some kind of a level of faith, you know God can do anything, but to see this in God's word, it was exciting to me. We find that the principle that's taught here is making a promise and keeping that promise. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according that he hath not. You know, God never asks you to do anything that you can't do. He's never asked you to do anything. There must first be a willingness to get involved regardless of how much or how little that we've got. Trusting God. God's not going to ask more of me than I can handle. And of course, we find that he says in verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. I'm not trying to make life harder for you so that it could be given to somebody else but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, and there may be equality as it is written. He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. With God, God will do the distributing. And we don't have to do anything that God's not asking us to do. Now jump down. We don't have time to read it all. Jump down to, uh, to verse 24. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. You see, this whole principle here that was at work in their midst, that would really prove how much that they loved, and it would also speak volumes of their testimony of just what place that the Lord really had in their lives. Show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love 
and of our boasting on your behalf. We've been telling others what great things that God's doing through you. So let's see it happen now. Let, let it not be something that, that's just said and then not done. Look down in chapter 9. Again, in verses, verses 1 through 5 there, we don't have time to read them all. You go back and read them yourself. It's important for our testimony before others that we plan, that we prepare, that we perform that which we're going to do. He goes on down in, in, in verse 6 that there are blessings that are, that are in direct proportion to our, to our giving. Uh, God is going to, to bless us. Uh, he said there, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always have all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. I want you to grasp this simple truth. This is not something that we're talking about. Just like we said, you know, even with the tithe, it couldn't buy you favors with God. All the, the love offering, the free will offerings that are given it's simply of those that want to do so in their hearts. He says, this is not by commandment. This will prove how much that you love him. This will speak volumes of your testimony of what God is, is doing in you and in your church. But in the end, it comes back to heart. See, God's not wanting you to do anything but be willing. The truth is, is that if we can be willing in our hearts if we can have a heart and a desire to do, God can accomplish things through us. You know, truth is, again, I keep saying truth is, it's all the truth. Just that if God has our hearts, if God has us, if he has all of us, then it'll change our want-tos. And this is something that we can either trust God in or we can not trust God in. But I want to bring you to uh, specific verses that uh, we could jump over to chapter 10 just to show you that we are speaking specifically about in our missions conference, we're speaking specifically about getting the gospel to the regions beyond. Now he says, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. You know, people can start getting boastful in this. Oh, man, look what I'm doing for the Lord. Look what I'm doing for my church. He says we don't need to be commending ourselves because of what we're doing versus what somebody else is doing. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. In other words, we don't want to boast about what we're doing or what we can do. What we would like to boast about is what God is doing. See what God is doing. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Listen carefully. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope 
when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. I'm saying to you, you don't have to be involved in this. You don't have to do anything with it. And if you're a child of God, you're still a child of God. And you're not gonna buy any favors with God anyway. But I'm saying God gives us some exciting principles. And first of all, we can do his work by giving him the first fruits, the example that he's given us all through scripture that his work can be carried on. Secondly, we can do that of a willing heart, that that we want to because we see needs and we have a desire and we can do. And I would hope that we would all sit down and, well, you know, I want to use what I've been blessed with for the Lord. But I get excited and you forgive me. I get excited when I see that, you know, I want to be able to do what I can do. But all of these chapters are talking about God doing what I can't do. God being willing to do through me. In other words, it comes down to, you know what? God will give things through you for his work that are not meant for you to close your paws on and keep for yourself. God is able to accomplish the impossible. Most Christians never get to this point that they earnestly are doing all that they can because they love God so much and they care about others so much that they're doing everything they possibly can, but then they can come before God and say, God, I know that nothing is impossible with you. I know that these people in their deep poverty, they were still begging to be able to, to do more for the ministry, and he clearly says that it's when our faith is increased that those ministries will be enlarged to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. I'm just saying here is another whole level that you can be involved in. I hope, I hope that your desire to get the gospel to the ends of the world is such that you'll simply do everything that you possibly can because your love is that great in your heart. But I'm saying, you know, you can get frustrated sometimes when you say, boy, I just want to do more. Well, don't get all wrapped up in emotions and do it. Spend time on your knees, on your face before God. God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to do that's beyond me? There is a giving that is beyond us that God will do through us. And it's exciting when you get there. I wish I had time to give you some illustrations. And I say this, and I... I say it in a way because I don't want you to take it as boasting. I will tell you this, that when I first saw this truth, <laughs> and I first saw that and I looked at my income and I looked at my outgoings and I was already doing this and doing that and doing that, you know, my first step of faith, I looked back and it was pretty small, but boy, you know, at the time, it seemed huge. It was something I had to trust God because I didn't have that extra money each week to go to the work of missions. But I knew that after my wife and I had prayed that we both felt with all of our hearts that God wanted to do that. And so it was solely by faith. But you know, the thing is, is that it's only when we begin to exercise that faith that 
that faith grows, and that faith grows. And I wish there was some way that I could tell you just there are all kinds of illustrations out there, but I can honestly say this, that for most of us, if God allowed us to see what was a year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, it would absolutely, we'd be like that preacher that had a heart attack in the hospital. It would scare us to death. We got a big God, a great God. And everything that he's doing here is never to be a burden on the Christian. It's never to make it harder. I said this morning, we got a lot of charlatans out there. And we got a lot of people that are abusing all these things. And all these people that are, you know, all they're after is more money, more money, more money, more money. And they're using it for themselves. This is the farthest thing in the world. We don't want anything to do with that. I'm asking you to do one thing. Truly give yourself to God wholly, completely, totally. Let God have your heart. Let God do. And just do what God wants you to do. You'll be happier. You'll be more fulfilled. You'll be more blessed when you do that. And I promise you this. And he says not to be commending. And I don't say this. I'm, I'm bragging on God. I believe that for most churches... To see the amount that this small congregation gives to the cause of missions, they would be impressed. They would be impressed with what's taking place there. But you know what? We're not trying to impress anybody. And you know what? If God tarries, it might not be good English, but we ain't seen nothing yet. We ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, if, if, if God will get a hold of us, we can't even begin to grasp what God can do and what God will do. And we're not doing it for ourselves. I'm saying that let's do it for the cause of the regions beyond, those souls that need to be won, starting with everybody that we meet and going to the farthest points of the world. Let's say with the prophet Isaiah. And I'm saying, will you be here this week? Will you be praying earnestly? You know, God needs people. God may want to use you. It may be here in Birmingham, but it might be the farthest point of the world from here. God needs people. God uses people. God asks us to pray that laborers would be sent forth. I want you to help me pray about that this week, that God would send forth laborers. I want you to also be praying about the fact, God, if you're not calling me to go, what more can I do to be effective in winning lost souls right here where I'm at School, at work, in my church, how can I be more effective? Let that become more of a priority to me than a lot of these other things that have taken so much of my time. And I want you to pray about this. I want you to just pray, what does God want to do? What can you feel in your heart? Because you just need to get alone before God. If you start where we started this morning, with all that God has given you, and if you focus upon that and recognize that everything you have is from him, when we start with that and we begin to come down, well, what does God want to give through me? How important is his work? How much do I really love him? Is it just in word or is it going to be in deed? Is it going to be in action? I don't want you to do anything that's going to make life harder for you. I want this next year. I want you to be the greatest, see the greatest harvest you've ever seen in your life because you've given yourself to God to be used in such a way to win others to Christ. I want you to see God do impossible things through you that you can only credit him for because of a step of faith that you took. I'm not asking for me. I'm not asking so we can brag as a church at what we do.
I'm asking because of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What will God do through you? Father, we thank you this evening. We thank you, Lord. I know that, again, as this morning and this evening, we, Lord, genuinely just praying and asking that you'd prepare our hearts for this week. We know that missions are a part of our ministry here, Lord, every week. But we set aside this time that we can just genuinely focus and pray. Lord, we thank you for those that will be coming to minister to us. But most of all, we pray that the power of your Spirit would minister through them and minister to our hearts and our souls. Lord, help us not to do less for the cause of missions and getting the gospel to the ends of the world this year, but, Lord, that we can do more, not because of our abilities and our powers, but that which is beyond us that can be accredited only to you and to your grace. Father, we pray. We pray that you'd help us. Lord, in all of these instances, we see that it genuinely begins by God having us. When God's got us, then everything else will fall into place. Help us to truly give ourselves to you. We give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.